power. Give me the power. All right. Everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Shock Treatment with Melon Matty. We have stormy weather brewing outside these walls, but we also have a great guest with us this evening. And Mel, you are there with us as well, right? I'm here. Very quiet. How you doing, Mel? Before I announce the guest, I'm doing. We'll leave anticipation, leave them sweating in their seats. But uh, we don't like to do that to our audience. So our guest this evening is James Lamond from 508 Productions. It come it came from the 508 Productions. How you doing, James? Hey, um, doing great, guys. How about you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. Mel, how you Can't doing? Can't complain with all these storms. I'm great. Yeah, I'm loving every storm that's come. I've been sitting outside most of the afternoon watching the thunderstorms coming through. I agree. I, I I love stormy weather, thunderstorms and rain. Uh, you know, if it was, if I could have it my way without being a Debbie Downer, I'd say fucking thunderstorms and rain every day for everybody. That's Hell yeah, it's good sleeping weather. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. good sleep. Great time to watch a horror movie. Yeah, create. Yeah, exactly. Know, get some work in. Very inspirational and creative. The element, you know. I agree. I the, agree. The all encompassing mother nature. Taking, mm-hmm. taking you into her bosom. Um, so, yeah, we met James, what was it, maybe three, four years ago? Four years ago now, man. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah, Yeah, rock and shock. Time mm-hmm. flies when you're mm-hmm. quarantined. You know what I mean? Yeah, the good old rock and shock before uh, the death of. Rest in peace, rock and shock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. Very sad, yeah. It was good. It was, you know, Rock and Shock was our staple convention, I'd say. It was the first one I remember when I first heard about Rock and Shock way when they've been going for like 15 years or something like that. And I remember mm-hmm. getting, getting the phone call from my uncle and being like, hey, you know, they're doing a horror convention in Mass? And I was like, what? Because that was very uh, out of the norm at the time. If you wanted to go to the horror cons, you had to go to, you know, New Jersey, New York, the big ones and stuff. And other places mm. but yeah it was good to finally get our own so when uh what year did you you first pop into the rock and shock world as as a patron oh yeah. god uh first year yeah. <laughs> i've been going i've been going on that since i was a wee take yeah, <laughs> yeah it's sad it's, the, 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 the departure is really sad mm-hmm. you know mel when did you hit the first rock and shock my first rock and shock was in 2014 and then I was like, how did I possibly manage to not know about this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, supposedly they're doing another one, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But Yeah, rumor has it that um, Kevin is teaming up with somebody else to do another one, so time will tell. I think Adam Green will be involved. I think he might be... I get a feel that he'll be uh, like a higher up in the... Uh, He'll be one of the to big, bring him in. Yeah, to br- well, he'll be there, but like I think he's going to be a little more involved in the actual convention itself. You know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me. That's where he got his start. Yeah, he's a, he's very cool to his local folks. Um, mm-hmm. So I could definitely see him coming back, and you know, 
it's it 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 it's proven to be a money maker so like investing in it isn't isn't quite a a bad thing and i especially if you've got you know like adam green who's a good brings in a big group of people you know he could definitely they could put their minds together and definitely put together some fresh new fun you know never before done things you know whether it may be uh you know live i know they did a live reading once of the holliston show but like more interactive stuff like that i think it would be great I think it would be awesome. Adam Green's one of those dudes. When you think of, you know, a couple of years ago when, 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 you know, the biggest, some of the biggest names in the horror industry are Massachusetts people. You got Adam Green, Rob Zombie, Eli Roth, uh, Mike Flanagan is also, you know, even in the yeah, he's a he's a hometown boy. Yeah, he is. He, yeah, even like uh, the dude that did the witch in the lighthouse is from Mass in some sort of way. Yeah, um, Robert Eggers. Um, yeah, I believe he's yeah. from further like Western Mass, though. He's he's further out. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. And like, there's tons of popular actors and whatnot too. Yeah, they're all yeah. hidden. They're all hidden. Yeah. I guess there's a. Uh, I know Chris Cooper from, like, the town in American Beauty. He lives over kind of by me on the South Shore. Um, like, if you were going from, like, uh, South Shore to the Cape down that highway, I guess there's there's a part where you can see his house off of the highway. I know, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but, yeah, like, every everybody, uh, it's just fun. I think people like it because it's got that, you know, it kind of has a towny feel to it. Um, especially if you're like from the city, like if you're from a New York or an LA, like I think it's definitely like uh, almost like a perfect villain in a way. Unless you're mm-hmm. in Fall, unless you're in Fall River. Unless you're in Fall River, that is not damn the, true. That is not perfect <laughs> villain. <laughs> so let's let's get this show started with a. There was a very young little boy, James Lamond, in Fall River, Massachusetts, and uh, his whole interest with the horror, became uh, prevalent after watching what horror film? Okay, so my family is, uh, this is this is multi-generational. My mom is the biggest horror fan under the sun. So my introduction to horror was actually very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was three years old, and we went to go see Jaws 3D. With the little 3D glasses and everything, um, and I was completely and utterly just enamored by what I was watching, and it, it it's been an addiction ever since, um, in the truest sense of the word. Like I, I I seek out and clamor for new horror experiences all the time. Yeah, yeah. Jaws is one of those movies that I don't think gets it. It, it gets certain credit in the right circles, but then like you know. Other horror circles, like, it doesn't, but when you really think of Jaws, like, the way that it kept people out of the water, like, there's very few horror movies that have that impact. Like, I no. I hated the ocean as a kid, and it was because I seen Jaws, you know what I mean? Exactly, and you know what? I mean, people can discredit Jaws as a horror film, but it doesn't make, it doesn't change the fact that it is essentially the perfect slasher movie set in a perfect setting to create something that's incredibly scary. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't care what anybody says. That's a horror movie. Oh, I agree. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny cause you'll see a Turk, you'll talk to pure horror purists and they like, they'll always like to leave jaws out. 
but it really, you, you can't, you know, you really can't. Like, it wasn't, I don't think it was made to be a horror film, you know what I mean? But the reaction was definitely that of a horror film, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the scariest part of it is, I mean, that's something that could actually really happen. So, yeah. you know, you're <laughs> constantly thinking that, you know, oh, man, I don't want to go to the beach because, you know, what the hell? What if I get, you know, eaten by a great white while I'm, you know, swimming or hanging out? It's like, who the hell wants to die that way? Not me. Nobody. Yeah, there's very few. I mean, you really think about that death. It's like... It's 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 a tough one. I mean, it is it is the worst slasher kill you could imagine. The worst hacking up that you could imagine getting ha- you know happening to you. But yeah, be be first. I'm feeling of, it every moment of it while it's happening. Well, you're in an element that scares a lot of people to begin with. The open water, like be in the fact that you're in this massive thing that yeah, once you go under the surface, you don't you no longer breathe. So you need to stay above a surface. And so now you have things within that surface they pull you down into and that's not even the bad part of the of pulling you down the bad part is what their teeth do to your flesh when they're grinding <laughs> you up you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, exactly you're you're naming every reason why i was terrified yeah. of the water as a child <laughs> and it, was, <laughs> it, it was handled very realistic within the film too where it's more it isn't really set up like a horror. Like, it's more set up like a family movie with just, like, very horrific outcomes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I heard they were going to reboot that. They've, they've tried to a couple times. I feel like that would be an incredible mistake. Well, it goes into the whole thing with, like, the reason why that first one was so successful was because the shark didn't work. You know what I mean? If you've seen more of it, you probably would have been like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, the movie would have been corny. Uh, the, the way it was handled because the shark didn't work yeah. was just some a brilliant piece of filmmaking. And for them to go now and reboot it and do it the way that I'm pretty sure I would expect yeah. it to happen, very, very uh, Michael Bayish, very CGI, very... Yep. Eh, no. Over no, the this, top. Over the top. Like, there, there's, there's a simple perfection to the first Jaws movie. And it was just le- from the purity of the original movie. I, I, I agree. It, it should just be left alone. Yeah. In my a, opinion. It was a happy accident as it was. Um, mm-hmm. Doing a reboot would Absolutely. just cheapen it to the point, you know, every under every like weird shark horror movie that you see now, whether it be, you know, a, dare I say a Sharknado or what a 47 meters underneath, or even going back a while, a little while back when they were doing, you know, like uh, open water or dark water or, um, you know, all those randomly left in the middle of the ocean and now you have to deal with sharks, even Deep Blue Sea, which is a fun watch, fun watch, but, you know. It's they just don't have it. You can't really. They just it. don't have it. Yeah, you can't. It's difficult to keep the the the, the tension and the, the vibe of actual real scary situational horror with you know. There's always that comedy element. Now, did you check out Meg at all? I did. I actually enjoyed Meg immensely. Me too. I like it. I'm a sucker for like those big shark <laughs> movies and. Natural disaster films and stuff are like my my my, mm-hmm. my guilty pleasure type deals. But I liked Meg a lot. I was looking forward to it. I remember at one point Eli Roth was gonna direct it. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I do. It would have been more. I feel scary. like yeah. I feel like it would have been a less fun film 
if Raw had got his hands on it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it would have been more, it would have been, had more of a comedic mesh of, like, the Piranha when they did the yeah. reboot. It'd be like yeah. that with more, more intense gore type deal with, with, with the, sh- the, 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 the mauling of the shark. Yeah, yeah, it, I don't, I don't feel, I feel like, and that's probably why ultimately why Roth didn't end up doing it is because I don't think he's a very good fit for that size of a film. I agree. Roth, Roth really works best when he's doing something more centered and grounded in reality. Yeah. You know? He's a lot like Aaron Aronofsky. I usually say that about Aaron Aronofsky, where, like, if you give him too much money, he kind of, you know, don't want to say flub it up, but he kind of, like, it's almost like the picture gets too big for him, whereas in his smaller, independent, more, like, from the soul almost type movies are his bigger successes, like Requiem the Wrestler, mm-hmm. Black Swan and stuff, as opposed to, like, The Fountain or Noah, um, where a lot of people like The Fountain. The Fountain went a little over my head, I think. I didn't quite appreciate it as much as other people do, but um, he's he's right up there with that, too. But, yeah, Eli Roth would be, be an intro, even though he did that House of Clocks movie or whatever. I, I almost feel like at the time of Meg, they didn't quite look at him as, like, a blockbuster um, they knew that that movie was going to be a summer blockbuster type movie, and I, I think they—I uh, don't think they put the put the faith put the faith in his uh, numbers to to have him bring. And the, that and out. the sad thing I hate to admit is that what? I actually liked that movie. What Meg? The house with the clock. Oh, the house with the clock. I haven't. Seen oh, the house with the clock in the walls. It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a fun film. I bet it, it, it wasn't. I, I had a feeling that it would be. You know. Um, Jack Black's in that, right? Yeah. Yes. See, that's a good combo that I wouldn't mind seeing Jack Black directed by Eli Roth. Yeah, it's actually it's 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 a fun watch. It's not it's it's miles away from his other stuff, obviously. Yeah. But it's it, it's good. It was enjoyable. He's trying to sway more in that mainstream direction. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't blame him. It is what it is. Oh. Hey. It's a business at the end of the day. It's the show business. He's got to go where the money is. I mean, the the man's made a decent career doing horror, but I'm going to say he probably pilled a bigger paycheck than he's ever seen for the House of the Clock on the Let's be honest there. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. They'll probably get a sequel. Um, so like when you were coming up, you know, what filmmakers or, or films influ- influenced you and, in, you know, your style of film that you make? The first, the first film that I, that, that made me take a genuine interest in filmmaking, and it was, it was at a pretty young age, mm-hmm. was actually, um, not one of my favorite directors of all time, but, uh, Subspecies. By okay. Full Moon Features, if you guys uh, are familiar. Yes. Yep. I I have a, and this will be no surprise when we get into my films, but I have a very soft place in my heart for vampires. Yeah. And when they're done in a frightening manner, I'm way more impressed than the sexy, cool, romantic side of van- of the vampire films. I, I want I want to see stuff more like like subspecies near dark. Salem's a lot. I, I, I like the scary side of vampire stuff. Yeah, you want to see that, not the Twilight version. Yeah. And, and Radu, um, and just the way that Ted Nicolau handled that film with such a small budget. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you rented those films, when I was, when I was a kid, I, I lived at the video store like yeah. most of us did. 
whenever you rented a full moon feature, they always have the pre-phase video zone, like, the making of. Mm. And, like, knowing that they, like, pulled this movie off, like, going to Romania and and this crazy makeup and sets and, like, all this stuff, and they did it in, like, $200,000 budget. Yeah. I wasn't a stupid kid. I was wildly impressed by that because I knew that even then to make a movie, $200,000 wasn't shit. Right. And I was like, wow, if they can do that for $200,000, maybe I can do something someday. And that's when I started to, like, really get into watching, like, film documentaries and, like, like the making ofs and stuff like that. Like, really trying to, like, suss out how people are doing stuff. That was probably the movie that really just sparked my interest in filmmaking in general. Yeah, I always tell people commentaries, commentary tracks on films, huge knowledge, you know. You can take, you can get yourself a good film school education without actually going to film school through things like commentary tracks, you know, watching all the behind the scenes you can. There's millions of books released on how to make films, how certain films were made. Um, and, you know, add that to actually going out there and doing it, getting your hands in it, is, I, I think, is better than, you know, film school. Because um, film school kind of creates like a cookie cutter filmmaker, you know what I mean? I agree. I agree. I don't. I don't take many people. Um, yeah, I've been. I've been in the biz for a little while now. I, I, we've done a lot of projects. Um, when people tell me they went to film school, I it, it's it's a it's a bad reaction on my part. I should probably work on it, but I immediately kind of roll my eyes. Because yeah. it's just like, oh, okay, you went to film school cool and that's not to knock anybody that went to film school and then strived off to push in their own direction and like came up with something great awesome more power to you like i'm glad you could break the mold of whatever they're teaching you in there Mm -hmm. and come up with your own ideas but a lot of people that go to you know the traditional film schools really are set in a certain way of how things are made yeah and and on our level, on the indie level, <laughs> I just can't. It's just not realistic most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing I'll usually bring. So up, I I, yeah. I kind of have a curiosity question now. Okay. Like when you were a kid, were you one of those kids running around the neighborhood with a video camera recording your films? Like, did you make any films when you were young, or did you just start doing them more as you became an adult? No, actually, my all of my um my creative juices went into writing first. My first screenplay, well, uh, I'm sorry, stage play, I wrote a play for my fifth grade class. I was nine years old. Um, That was the first time I did a stage play. My first screenplay was uh, was like a cheesy little vampire horror movie. And it was, I think I was 11. So I, I came into things like really like honing my skills as a screenwriter before I took the leap to actually like putting things on film. So you were doing, you were, you wrote a play? The first thing you ever wrote was a play? Yeah, first thing I ever wrote was a stage play, yeah. Did you get, did you, did you do it at school or something, or did it get work? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was for my fifth grade class, yeah, it was a school play. Was it Vampire? Was it a Vampire? No, actually, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I love it. What was the plot? Um, I basically just ripped off the first uh, live action movie, I'm not gonna lie. Kevin Eastman's listening. We'll tell. We'll tell him. We'll tell him that was what yeah. guys. 
Yeah, I think he don't actually, clue don't clue me in the new line, please. <laughs> I think Eastman <laughs> sold the rights before they got to that point, so he was kind of left out of the loot a little bit, anyways. So that's good. I, I want to go back to um, film school. One thing before we move on, um, the one thing that you could get at film school you couldn't get anywhere else was contacts. But nowadays, with the internet, you can go on Facebook and you can find. Any a number of people in your town, your community that are trying to do what you're trying to do. So, like that, just in case there's any filmmaker people, which I'd hope there'd be some like filmmaker or people that want to attempt film, people listening to the show to get some knowledge. Um, then I'd say that definitely, you know, that. But nowadays, back in the day, more so back in the day, you know, you would that's what you would go for. I feel, I feel the the credentials of meeting the the professors. Who know who have their ends? I think in 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 this in the business, and if they see the the kids that shine a little brighter than the others, they kind of tell their friends about them, and they get a gig type deal. Um, I I yeah I agree that there I agree to a point that 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 definitely has merit, but at the most part, like you can get your education, like yeah. film filmmaking, you can get an education of filmmaking on YouTube yeah. these days. Well, these yeah, most of you. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're, no, you're the guest, man. Go go go! Um, <laughs> no, but you can you can get a you can get a fairly decent and rounded education about how things work when you're making a movie yeah. on YouTube. You can get contacts through Craigslist. You can you can find people to do this. I did that. It was a hundred percent through the internet. Is how I started. It came from the five hundred eight. Yeah, you can do it. Is it more work? Yes. There's no there's there's no level that you can shy away from it that if you're going out and forging your own path with this stuff, the end results are a hell of a lot more rewarding, but it's a yeah. whole lot more work. Yeah. Yeah. It's truth. The um mm-hmm. so, so the, the, the play thing, um the stage thing rather, we don't like to say play, we it just sounds so disrespectful. But uh the stage the stage set so like that was uh it was a part of a school thing? It was. It was part of. It was part of my, uh, like I said, my fifth grade class school play. Did yeah. They, did they put? Was it like school play style? Costumes were made for the Ninja Turtles. I actually did all the production design too. I, I'd love to see <laughs> pictures. I'd love to see some pictures of this. I feel like I have some somewhere yeah. um, buried. Everything's in shambles right now because I'm moving. Yeah, but if I dig some up, Matt, I promise you, I will scan them into my computer and I will send them to you. I love it. We'll get you, we'll get you some film uh, gigs, some wardrobe gigs off of it. Wardrobe, <laughs> set design, I've done it all, baby. Hell yeah, <laughs> another thing, another thing, Jack filmmakers. Yeah, another thing, filmmakers uh, that are starting out. You got to do everything. It's one of those things you see, you know, every, a bunch of filmmakers, they just wear a bunch of different hats just to do that one thing that they want to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so when did you switch from just kind of want to watch horror films to actually wanting to make them? Well, I mean, I've always wanted to make them, Yeah. but life responsibilities and other creative projects kind of got in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was heavy into like the, the the metal scene for a while. I was doing I was doing that and touring bands. Um, when that finally winded down, was when I was like, okay, maybe now it's time to reassess. Maybe I maybe 
you know, you've been in five, ten bands now, James, and, you know, you've seen the world, you've, you've played with these bands. I think you've taken this as far as you can. What can we do now? Because I've always got to be creating. I can't, I can't leave my brain on neutral. I have, I have to do something. Yeah. So once I came off of that, <clears throat> which I believe was about two, 2014, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. I started kicking around the idea about making a movie. Um, just, just, you know, like me and a couple of my friends who were like huge horror buffs, um, you know, we'd always kicked around the idea, oh man, we should make a horror movie. It'd be fucking awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, I actually started to really like educate myself <laughs> on what it would take to actually make it happen. So I, I started researching the shit out of it even more seriously than just, you know, watching commentaries and whatever. I already had a pretty good base. But I wanted to like really like dig into it and get deeper into it. And then I started doing some side, like, you know, I went and PA'd on some sets. I started to really learn the vibe of things. And then around like midway through 2015, I said, yeah, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this. And then we started to slowly but surely bring about one last kill. Before we pop into one last kill, I'll ask you what was the what big difference did you see between being in a band and a film crew? Um, honestly, you're not the thing about the thing about um film versus music. Yeah, in music, your end result is one art form, mm-hmm. right? You have a song. You have five four, five, six, eight, you know, in the case of Slipknot 37, people all working together to, to make a song. Yeah. In film, you have many different art forms all coming together to make one cohesive piece. I feel like making film is infinitely more challenging and complicated than making music. Yeah. And I feel like the guy, I feel like and this is why I think in the horror community we respect directors so much because they're the guy that has to somehow tie this all together yeah. and, and make it make sense on a broader scale. So I feel like, yeah, that's that. I mean, between like, you know, makeup, acting, writing, actual, you know, cinematography, music, you have music in, you know, you, you bring new composers in to do your film scores and stuff. There's a lot of moving parts that make the whole in, in a film versus, you know, everybody over here in a band is working together to be a well-oiled machine to produce that one thing. To me, it's infinitely more complex, but it's also infinitely more rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's both kind of, you both have two groups of people working together. It's funny, when, when Dave, did you know Dave from the heavy metal community? We, I, I feel like we have probably um, crossed paths about three thousand friggin' times, yeah. but I'm fairly certain that we were probably both just a little too drunk to remember it. <laughs> That's how conventions work, too. The, um, yeah, I remember with, with Dave, we were gonna have his band help out with Ground Dog, and none of them—they uh, all were gung ho until they had to show up. So, and we always talked about the whole the dynamic of you know with bands, you know, sometimes they're their own worst enemies, you know what I mean? Um, which is not, you know, I was curious your take on that, you know what I mean? Within that, within both cultures, you know, what, you know, the the difference really between, 
attitude. You, did you see? Oh, a, attitude! You see now a, that's that's a different animal. You see, you see a difference um, in attitude, yeah. Yeah. It, okay. So again, I, I'm going to have to side with the film community more. <laughs> um. Um. Okay. So the, the, this would be like a twofold kind yeah. of thing. So when we when we got into this and we started making it. I automatically assumed that most of the people that were interested in doing this were not going to show up. Yeah. Because that's what I was used to with music, right. is unreliableness. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of like, goes hand in hand with mus musicians. We all, you know, aren't, or most of us, I should say, aren't aren't great at really meeting expectations. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, the first production meeting, 98% uh, of the people were there and ready to do it. And I was like, um... I'm not used to this. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a heavier and much more dedicated group of people working in film than there are in music. Now, I'm not saying that all bands are this way. There are there are bands out there that are 100% dedicated to what they do, and they do an absolutely amazing job. But on the average, I see way more dedication from the filmmaking community than I do the, the, the musician, the music community. And secondly, I was also pleasantly surprised when we did start to shop our, our first movie around and did start to get out there. The community in horror films and filmmaking in general is just, just the most supportive, wonderful, warm group of people on the face of the planet. Whereas in music, it's 100% cutthroat. Everybody's trying to screw each other so bad yeah. all the time. You go from this place where it's like you have this guard up where every time you meet somebody, like, what is this guy trying? What's his angle? But then you learn pretty quickly, like, oh, there is no angle. We're just, they're just nice people. <laughs> Why do you think there's that difference? I mean, they're two both, they're both two art forms that are trying to turn out an entertaining product for an audience. Why do you think there's such a difference in attitude? I think it really boils down to understanding the challenges, yeah. right? Musicians, to me, tend to be, at times, rather egotistical. And I'm not saying there's no filmmakers that aren't egotistical as well. Yeah. But what I mean in that is that they only see what's in their bubble, mm -hmm. right? Like, if they get booked to play a gig, most of the time you don't know who you're playing with. It's just whatever. Yeah. There's no camaraderie. When we have to get a film festival together, what do we have to do, Matt? We have to communicate. Yeah. We have to work together. We have to, you know, work deals out, make plans. And it's it's a community effort. It's not, it's, it's not we don't know who else is playing that night. It's like we know every movie that's playing that night. And sometimes we've seen them twice already. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a more need for a cohesion, but I think it also comes to understanding the challenges that we all face as filmmakers to make those happen. So we know that the end results are all really impressive pieces of work. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I've, I've always seen that in the, the difference between, you know, music and, and a uh, film. I mean, I, back in the day I used to shoot a lot of hip hop, you know, and some like rock shows uh, in the city and deal with certain artists, you know what I mean? From different genres. And so I've seen kind of both sides of it as well. Uh, I always thought it was inter interesting that there's those, they're, they're both kind of trying to accomplish the same thing, but that the attitudes can be so different. 
Yeah, it's 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 a really uh, and to come from one to the other is a culture shock. <laughs> Not the coin of phrase, but yeah. it's a culture shock in a great way. Yeah, to to have this pleasant surprise of going, oh wow, all these people are awesome, great. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where did you meet? You know, Erica, Paul, Dan, the rest of the five hundred eight folks. Okay. Um. As far as Dan and Paul go, mm-hmm. they've probably they've been two of my best friends since I was a kid. We we knew each other right back in high school. Um, Paul was always the guy that had a camera in his hand. He was that guy, Melissa, not not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was always the one that was shooting videos of our concerts and stuff. Like that, he was the guy with the camera. Yeah. Whereas um, Dan. He did a lot of stage acting, like, and he was, like, him, Paul, and myself were always the ones, like, oh, man, we gotta get a movie going, like, Dan should act in it, like, I'll write it, Paul shoots it, it'll be freaking great. Yeah. We just never could get the, the, the extra people, the meat, you know, the crew. Yeah. To, to, to make it happen. And what happened was, um, when I started to put out that, you know, the information that we were going to be trying to go for this, Erica was one of the first people that replied. Now, I had known her around the way from the music scene, too. Like, she was, like, at shows. She was friends with a lot of the bands and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> she was one of the first people that came back, like, oh, I'm I'm interested. Let's, let's do this. And she's been a, a godsend ever since. Like, she moved up very quickly from just being an actress to, you know, doing makeup, doing producer stuff behind the scenes. Like, she's been, she's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, they're all great. I like them. So, like, that group formed, and there was a knock on the door. And when James went to answer that door, there was a film called One Last Kill on the other side of that door. Can you tell us how that came about? A little bit about it? For sure, for sure. Um, it was, honestly, it was the second project that oh. we had decided to try and work on. Okay. The first project was just a little big for our britches. Um, we were new, we were ambitious, we were, we were hungry, um, and it just, it was, it was a little too much. We, we were, we were, came to the quick realization of, oh shit, maybe we bit off more than we can chew here. Yeah. Maybe we should put this on the shelf. So, then I was kicking around ideas with uh, a buddy of mine named Johnny Surratt, and he slid me a seven-page treatment of One Last Kill. I loved the bones of what he was, of what he was saying, mm-hmm. but I was like, dude, we can go deeper on this. We can, we can bring in other elements. Like, we can go here, there, wherever. He was like, do it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, wait, what? He's like, take my thing. Do do what do what you want to do, and then send it back to me and see what you do. So I, I brought in other elements. I, I kind of brought it to what it ended up being on the screen, and he was like, he was really jazzed about it. So we kind of back and forth on the script, and then Erica came in and helped with the dialogue a little bit. And once we had all those elements together, we were we were really really stoked about it. And I was like, this is something we can do. This is this is definitely a good for us project. Like we can pull this off. It's realistic. It's not too lofty. Like, we can do this. So about three months later, after some casting, auditions, 
rehearsals and all that. We the summer of 2016, yeah, that summer we started shooting. <laughs> Hell yeah! Now, um, now with your with your background with your background in music and whatnot, have you ever scored any of your projects or anybody else's projects? Well, actually. I have an interesting anecdote for that, Melissa, but we're going to save it for the next for the next movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> Word up! So, um, with uh, with making one last kill, what was the the biggest issues you, you guys dealt with making that film? Um, you know, it was a pretty smooth shoot. Um, Paul and I really did our homework. Yeah. While while we were doing rehearsals, while we were while him and I were location scouting, we always had a camera with us. We were always shooting mock-ups of the shots. We were always having we had a plan. I can say that like with with great confidence that we prepare. Mm-hmm. We we don't go into things blind. We we have a real solid foundation on how we want to handle things pretty much all the time. I think our biggest challenge really was um sound was anticipating sound i mean the movie is about 85 percent external it's outside Mm -hmm. so fighting the weather and the wind to get external audio was probably one of our biggest challenges because it was every every day we shot for some reason it was like 30 mile an hour wind gusts it was like stuff you couldn't predict for Mm -hmm. and but yeah, I mean, so that was probably the biggest challenge to get around. Um, the one saving grace we had was with when, when we were in the forest, when we were actually in the woods. There's a lot of windbreak there, yeah. so you don't get a lot of that back noise. But some of those shots that were like on the street or um, on roads and stuff, oh man, there was there's a lot of there was a lot of post production audio manipulation going on there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's one of those things you don't really think about that much until after the fact, uh, and then you learn. It's like a lesson you learn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, we we learned it by by. I mean, we uh, going into the next film, we had put it like another two thousand dollars into our sound equipment because we learned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, was other than that, was there anything else you felt you learned making that film? I um yeah I did um. I, I it was it was definitely a uh a crash course in directing for me. Yeah. Um being it was my first time actually, you know, in the seat looking at the monitor. And it, it, it it's more learning about myself as a creator. Yeah. Rather than necessarily anything to do with the set cuz like I said the set really couldn't have been any smoother. We had a great crew. We had great people acting in the movies. There weren't a lot honestly there weren't a lot of takes. Most things was like we got it in three takes and it was it was good. Yeah. But as a creator, it was like okay, well these things like as prepared as we were, it was like well I could have prepared I could have prepared this better. I could have scheduled this better. Like those kind of things. Like yeah. it was more learning, more me learning about my own process as a director rather than necessarily. Um, Things we can do as a company to improve because everybody on everybody on that crew is just awesome. Yeah, that's the thing I'll say about you know if you can get a really good group of people behind you that believe, you know the sky's the limit. It's one of those you could move the world, man, with with a big a big enough group of people that actually cared and gave their all to you know certain things. I couldn't agree more. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. 
Um, and then the, the, the follow-up film that Jane was speaking of before, that comes up to the door next. And he knocks. Mm-hmm. He knocks on the door. But this time, James got a padlock on the door, so it takes him a little longer to get it open. But when he opens <laughs> that door, <laughs> when he opens up that door, the box is standing there, staring right in his eyes, and says, "I'm ready, motherfucker." So, how'd the box come about? Um, honestly, it was it, 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 it turned around so fast I could have gotten a whiplash. Yeah, we dropped uh, one last kill. In March of 2017 was the first time it had a screening. And we had started to, like, spread the, the, the word, if you will. Yeah. And I think I had the finalized script for the box in April of 2017. I had been struck by an idea, and it just, you know... It, it just, I was like, this is, this is the next project. This is what's, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, so it was really fast. It was really fast. Um, th- th- we had the script, but casting this movie was a son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why it took us so long to start. It took us like six months from the time I wrote the script to when we actually started rolling a camera because casting this film was hard. Yeah. I feel that pain. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we had Dan come back. Erica came back. But they did not come back in the roles that they were initially set out to play. Okay. It, it was, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a metamorphosis. Um, so Dan was initially supposed to play Tommy, the, 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 the comic relief guy. Mm-hmm. And Erica was supposed to play the monster. Oh. Mm, exactly. But what happened was I had I had another cast. Um we unfortunately had to fire somebody for reasons. Mm-hmm. And then another one was just starting to really just not show up, just no call, no show, yeah. whatever. So I had to like switch the roles around a little bit and then Dan ended up playing Roland and she ended up playing Amelia in in, in a just just to sit in for an audition. That wasn't the intention. It was. It was just they were just sitting in those parts for the, for the for this audition. Yeah. And they did such a killer job, such a good job in that one thing. That once the audition was over, I pulled them to the side. I was like, "You guys got to play those parts. You have to." Yeah. And Erica was initially reluctant because it's way out of her wheelhouse. Um, being like that, the character's a mother and dealing with this grief and. She doesn't have kids. She's there's not a lot for her to really latch onto, like relatability wise. But that first performance she gave me, it was um, it was actually the scene in the basement when they were arguing, Mm -hmm. and I I was just I was blown away. I was like, "You guys have to do this. You have to trust me here." (laughs) Yeah, they did great. Yeah. What was that? It's a great film. I I I rewatched it again this morning and. Like, it's, like, perfect. Like, I wish it was longer than it is. That, I think, is the best compliment you can get as a short, uh, for a, uh, what I call compact feature film. Yeah. Is that you wish it was longer. Which I wish it was longer, too, but, you know, budgets, whatnot. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. With Insomniac, we kind of ran into that issue too, where it's, it's you know not quite a full feature, but longer than a short, which is kind of a burden, you know, uh, with film festivals and stuff because they have their certain time limits. You guys run into any? I'm sure you probably did run into issues with that, with the length. Of, of course, it. yeah, of course. It, it, it closes doors, but at the same time. I feel like as filmmakers, we need to be true to the story we're trying to tell. Yeah, I mean, was when you say there was a budget thing, was there idea? Did you have ideas of other scenes that didn't make the cut? Oh yeah, no, we have a uh, we have a whole reel of stuff that we shot that we just did not have the money to really pull off. Yeah, but we went, we tried anyway. To at least give it, give it the the whole college try to try to pull it off the best way we can, but it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't up to par with with the with the the bones of the script. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. I was like, we're telling a story, and like we have all this great material here, but then if we add these things in, it's gonna, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna beef up the runtime, but it's gonna lessen the experience, in my opinion. So I feel like those things belonged getting shelved. And someday, if we ever get to do a feature version of the box and we have the money to pull that off, we'll, we'll bring them back in. But for now, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say there'll be a James for Lucas. For now, less is more. Mm-hmm. There'll be a James, mm-hmm. James Lucas cut in the future. Could be. You never know. You never know. If we get If we get the budget, you never know. Some of that stuff may come back. The, the box is my favorite James Lamont film. Oh, thanks, man. To date, to date, and um, I like, you know, I like uh, One Last Kill as well. You can definitely see an evolution within the filmmaking between the two films. Like we said, you know, sometimes when you're making these first films and stuff, there's mistakes you make that you learn from, like audio, you know what I mean? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the box... You know, pack, pack the punch. It came back with like a real. It has a really polished look to it, and uh, yeah, you know, I really good. Anybody out there who hasn't seen it, definitely check it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and to to bring back to what Melissa's question, if you watch the scene where they're digging up the hole mm-hmm. in the beginning, and that metal band comes on, that's my old band. So that's that's my musical contribute contribution. Ah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Did you did you ever do any music video directing back in the day, or? Um, I did a lot of music video colla- uh, writing. Yeah. As far as like structuring and stuff, but I never directed it. Yeah. No. No. But um, no, I uh, as far as scoring my films, nope, I have left that in the very capable hands of Dave Poppin and for One Last Kill, and then Jeremy Aruda for The Box, who directed Strawberry Lane. Hell yeah. Where's your mm-hmm. Where's your respect lie with a filmmaker like Rob Zombie, who kind of came from came from music and is killed it in both fields of, you know, music and, and, and film? My thing, my, my thing with Rob Zombie is, um, I loved his music growing up. I, 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 I am a Rob Zombie fan to the end of my, to the end of my days. Yeah. Filmmaking wise, I feel like his films have been hit or miss as far as whether or not I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But 
The man. Oh, I can't be your friend anymore. Hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. There's an addendum here. Yeah. The man has never not gone for what he wants. Word up. And I have to respect that as a filmmaker. Yeah. I have to. It's obligatory. If somebody is out here just not doing the usual carbon copy, whatever kind of horror film, you have to give them the props. Whether or not you respect all the decisions that were made in that film, you have to respect the fact that he's doing it the way he wants to do it. And I do respect him for that. Immensely. Yeah. Immensely. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, not all of his films have been to my taste. That's all. <laughs> And he has such a distinctive style, too. Like, you, can, as soon as you turn on a movie, you can tell it's a Rob Zombie film, like, right off the bat. And, uh, you know, it's duplicated, you know what I mean? But um, he's kind of like the originator of that style, I feel. I mean, it's all homage, I agree. homage to the films that he appreciated when he was younger, but, like, the current... And uh, in the current, you know, he's got that style, uh, you know, mixing up the different type of film types and... You know, at least he did. I don't know. He could be all digital now. But, uh, yeah, I always... When people give rubs on me hard times, I usually try and help the guy out a little bit. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm trying to keep theme of Massachusetts filmmakers. So, I agree. I agree. We... we This state has been a, uh, a kingmaker for talented horror filmmakers, in my opinion. Now, what, the, the, yeah. Why do you think that's so? You know, New England's very notorious. We had... Uh, who do we have? Edgar Allan Poe was us, right? Didn't we have him? Um, Who did we have? Before he moved to Virginia, yes. And then we had Lovecraft as well, was in our area. Lovecraft is in our area. How Stephen King's just Stephen a little King. ways north. Stephen King, yeah. You know what I mean? I wonder what it is about this area that spawns so many great horror minds. I think, I think it's really, you know, people coin the phrase of something in the water or something like that. I think it is the fact that we have this history of spooky shit all throughout our area, the Salem Witch Trials, the, the, the Bridgewater Triangle, you know, these, these, this, this history of supernatural happenings. I mean, the Mercy Brown, um, the case of Mercy Brown, the, the vampire the suspected vampire case in Rhode Island, all the stuff that happened in Exeter, Rhode Island, with all that spooky stuff. I think there's a rich history here of, well, I mean, it's not something necessarily to be proud of, but, like, <laughs> pain, violence, and nightmares. <laughs> and and I feel like that really, um, that inspires us yeah. in, in a lot of ways that, you know, you may not, you may not be inspired in, say, like, California. <laughs> True. Let's. Uh, you brought up Strawberry Lane a little while ago. Let's pop into that uh, Strawberry Lane. Now that's a film that you didn't direct, but you guys distributed it, right? For Jerry yes. Neruda. Yes. Yes, we did. Um. So, I'm. I was good friends with Jeremy's sister, okay. Crystal, who runs a wonderful makeup company called Ocular, Ocular Deceptions. She's insanely talented, and I was actually negotiating the location for the box and she brought up that her brother made films I was like okay that's awesome I'd love to see them sometime oh, thankfully she took me seriously and then hooked me up with Jeremy and we got to talking and we hit it off right off the bat like we're, we're 
we may come at film from two very different places, but we're very much of the same mind yeah. in, in like what we're trying to shoot for and trying to do as filmmakers. And he showed me Strawberry Lane, or I should say an early cut of Strawberry Lane. It wasn't the final cut that we've actually released now. And it, it floored me, man. It just knocked me off my ass. I was like, this dude has balls. Yeah. I was like, this dude has big brass balls. And I have to... Uh, and so I asked him, I was like, what are you doing with this movie? <laughs> He's like, I don't know, you know. Um, you know, whatever. I was like, you've got to let us... I was like, you've got to let us release it. Like, I let's get it in some festivals, man. Like, let's, yeah. let's get some traction behind this movie because it is such a... To me, it is such a defining film. Like, it's not a film you forget. Right. Whether you hate it or don't, or you love it, yeah. it, it, it stays in your head forever. And I think that is probably some of his decision-making in that film, some of the ballsiest stuff I've seen in a long time. And it was just, and I mean, from there, I mean, we, you know, wrote some ink on some paper, and we made it happen, and I'm, I'm infinitely grateful that he trusted me with that, because, damn, man, that is, it is just such a good film. He is such a talented dude. It is, yeah, I really I really liked it, you know. Uh, it's very avant-garde. I mean, you, you see a lot of... You see a lot of like fake avant-garde pushed off nowadays, where they try they're trying to be you know weird and and, and you know super artistic, uh, and they don't quite hit the mark. But that did. I, I remember seeing that at the Dead of Autumn Horror Fest and really digging it. Uh, and I just I lost I lost out a Best Director award to uh, Jeremy not too long ago, which was fine, which was fine, which was very fine, because you know at least I had respect for the the. The person that won, you know what I mean? That's always a plus, and enjoy the film, so that was good. I, I looked at, and the severed limbs, that, what Neil did with that was just, it was amazing. And I mean, just the fact that we got nominated Hell yeah. for the stuff that, that you know, that, to know that out of 38 films, like, yeah. we were, like, number two or three, yeah. like, I'm okay with that, you know what I mean? It was like, but no, I mean, that was, that was a great night for Jeremy, um... I was so, so happy to see him get that because I really think he deserved it. Yeah. Because the Strawberry Lane was, from what I've told, because I came in, I, I came into the process late, late in the game. Mm -hmm. But from what I was told, it was not an easy shoot. So. Yeah. Well, it's when you're making those avant-garde things, getting your point across to the, if the actors don't quite, maybe see the vision, the, and the more wild your vision is, the harder it is for them to see it, it might become a little difficult to communicate or something like that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Not to mention, not to mention he shot that, he didn't, like, shoot it in black, and he didn't, like, shoot it in color and then change it to black and white yeah. later. Like, he shot in black and white from the jump, so he had a lot of challenges with lighting and a lot of challenges that, you know, a lot of people that don't work in black and white might not understand. Yeah beyond that like getting the visuals right were also an incredible challenge for him in that movie so again even more so like knocking it out of the park we'll have to get him on the show sometime you yeah, yeah. you guys uh are you guys planning any collaborations for like his next thing or um Just we haven't talked too much about yeah. what's next so yeah. so to speak um he does have another film that's coming out in um the Severed Limbs 2 in a couple of weeks cool. called The Stranger. 
Ooh. Um, it's not a release from us. It is a separate, independent thing okay. from from him from for him. But it's again, it's it's another. It is an absolutely another just mind bending like killer little piece. Yeah. And I can't wait for people to see that either because it was it, the first time I saw that again. It knocked me on my ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can do that, which is nice. It's funny that the the, mm-hmm. hawk, the hawk's got a short plan, the severed limbs too. That's uh, very with the times, emotional, emotional uh, madness. You guys got anything playing over at the part at part two? I don't no, no. Um, I've been in the middle. Like I said, I've been in the middle of moving. Yeah. So a lot of things have been kind of like on hold. <laughs> yeah. For the moment, um, that'll. That'll change in the coming weeks. We've, we've got plans to move forward with some stuff. I just gotta, I just gotta get this out of the way. But I wasn't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I can still submit. I think they're, I think that's locked in. But hopefully for Severlands 3. Yeah, I feel like you'll be, yeah. You guys will be there. I hope to see you guys there. I think they'll. Well, be- I'll be watching it either way. <laughs> I'll be looking in the in the little eye, the eye thing to see who's watching. Yeah, like mm-hmm. like you were saying before, man. Even if even if he took the, the nominations out, just to be able to kind of be, I, I tell everybody all the time that when we work with people, it's like you know if you if you the movie shows for one new person that likes it, like awesome it's a win you know what i mean it's a win yeah, yeah. so like just just playing at it's really cool but the, the yeah the, the the award ceremony was cool because they uh you know they had some bigger actors and such come on and do the do the nomination reads and stuff i thought that was pretty cool yeah neil mm-hmm. neil, neil did a really cool thing over there uh applaud much mm-hmm. applaud to neil jumping from podcast to podcast uh you just started up a new podcast right yeah i did i did um it's been a, it's been an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, culture shock over on five hundred eight radio. It's uh, my thing. My thing with the with the podcasting was I mean when we've done we've done some shows like this back in the day with with like Slash TV and Horror Sphere and yeah. stuff like that. And I don't I don't want to discredit that work because I thought I thought those shows were really good for what they were. Yeah. Um. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it was like, I wanted to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get behind, like, some of the, the issues we're facing in our culture yeah. as, 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 a, as, a, as a horror community. I wanted to get into the psychology of some of the things that, that in, in the horror community. So I wanted to dig deeper. And I knew that, like, if I went on some kind of, like, splashy, like, YouTube show, like we had for like Horror Sphere, Dead of Autumn, and stuff. Yeah. I mean, not Dead of Autumn, Horror Sphere, and then and, and Slash. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get down to the nitty gritty. So it's something that I had to like explore on my own. Yeah. I had that, which is why I'm the sole host uh, of the show. But it's oh, it's man. been freaking cool so far, man. Um, we had uh, first episode. We had Patrick and Ashes from Throwdown Thursday. Yeah, word up. On I had Marcus and Liz from uh, the Dark Offerings. They yeah. they were on. Um. Yeah, it, it's been a ride so far. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun digging into deeper topics, and I'm finding that a lot of the guests are really excited yeah. about being able to go deep into something rather than just worrying about you know the skim and the surface stuff. And it's been, it's been fun, man. It, it's been a lot of fun, and I hope we can keep it going. I mean, 
the response has been great so far, so I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. You guys going to get into the big scandals of recent in the horror community? The big I can't confirm or deny that, but I definitely want to. I feel like I feel like there's things that need to be said, yeah, and nobody's having the nuts to say, yeah. And it's it's been getting me. Um, I've been a little agitated about it, and this is on a bigger scale. I'm not talking about us. Like at, at the end of the day, like the indie scene and stuff. Like we have a voice, and we say it, and we say it loudly, but. It's not us that needs to be saying this stuff. It's the people with 200,000 fucking followers on their, their Instagrams that need to be saying this stuff. And everybody's been fucking mum. And it's driving me nuts. <laughs> no, I'm with you. It was a delicate subject because you've got, uh, it branches from like bigger horror, like bigger horror with like the whole Fangoria thing and all the podcasts and stuff going down. And which I, that whole deal, I want to say the guy that fucked up with that was the, he, he he fucked up and did stupid shit, the, the same shit, like, a couple years ago, and it's an interesting topic because, like, the horror community can be kind of pick and choose who they want to attack, and it's like, they'll, 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 they'll kind of, like, somebody pops up they don't like, they'll tear apart, but, like, the, the guy that was reoccurring at, you know, the Fangoria thing or whatever. The, they'll like, sweep it under the rug. They sweep it under the rug, and it's like, well, we know him. He's he's a good guy. He didn't mean to do all that bad shit. You know what I mean? It's weird. But, yeah, you got that whole thing going on. Then there's, like, the more, more like, indie-indie, low-budget, you know, of, uh, you know, the films that have been, you know, like that Slaber Day. Slaber Day 7? That, um, that gets me so goddamn mad. <laughs> now, did you get a chance to meet him at Dead of Autumn? I, I, he was there, right? I didn't. I don't know if I got to meet him. Meet him. He was not there, thankfully. He was but, busy doing bad things. He was busy doing something, yeah. and it was probably not the thing he should be doing. No, I hate and that. Uh, so what no, I, I've, I've, I had talked to him at other times, yeah. at other occasions afterwards, and then to hear that. I didn't want to believe it. No, I you don't want to believe something like that, right. obviously. Right. But then you see, like, clear evidence that the, this is the case and this is what happened, and then, you know, other stuff around that situation. And, yeah, I mean, I was livid. I was completely livid. Yeah. There was, there was, I was, I wanted, you know, I, like, like most of us in this, in our community, we have a tight-knit community, Right. To a degree, like this isn't a dis disembodied situation that we that doesn't affect us. It affects everybody. Yeah, it affects. And I mean, him being what he was and doing what he did, you don't think that negatively affects like the next casting call we have? Of course, it Absolutely. does. People are going to be more leery, more distrustful. Right. And that's bad. That's it's bad for everybody. It's bad for everybody, and. That's all I'm going to say about it for now before I go on some, like, huh. expletive tirade. <laughs> it's true. Even, even in the bigger picture of just looking at filmmakers, you know what I mean? It's bad for everybody, not just when, you, when you're, like, out there trying to get people, but just the fact of, you know, that, that, that shit's in there, you know what I mean? It's crazy, though. Mm -hmm. yeah, every, there, I remember there was, like, there was an issue with uh, another director uh, that was, like, a bigger indie 
and the Saskas got, I guess they got big issues going for them right now with like, I don't know, they were giving people plagiarism. Hard Is that what it was? Plagiarism? Yeah. I heard about that. That doesn't make me happy either. <laughs> yeah. I, they were given hard times or something, right? Like that they were being mean to people or something like that or shaming. Well, I had heard for a long time in the lower grumblings that they were absolute terrorists to work with. Yeah. Um, but that's not, that's not my set. That's not my yeah, best yeah, yeah, style. No, that could just I, be, I, you know, a director style. being really stringent and, I've worked well, with some, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, you, you yeah, could be yeah, a real, yeah. like, directors can be real hard asses. Absolutely, yeah. So they, but, they, yeah. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, 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 you do. I'm just, uh, I don't know much about the subject, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested in it. I, I well, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to name names or anything because yeah. I don't. I don't know the full, the full scenario. But I know that there were legal documents that were leaked on the Twitter okay. that stated there were plagiarism lawsuits against the Soskis for multiple things. It wasn't just one. Hmm. So I gotta say, like you know, it's it's the old adage. Like if you go over to China and say rice sucks, a billion people are going to disagree with you. Right. If you have all of this evidence from multiple sources, like, there's got to be some truth there. Right. That There's got to be. Whether all the cases are that, or whether or not, it, it, there's got to be some truth to it. That's just, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's, it's the weird thing, you know, it, I mean, there could be, people do tag on, though. I mean, I will agree, people will say people, you know, like, like, you know, Lions, oh, absolutely, a zebra. You know what I mean. They taste some blood or something. But uh, who's to know? I don't know. I don't have any dog in the fight. You know what I mean. I heard more about them, like supposedly being, you know, just mean to people. But I didn't even know there was a plagiarism thing going. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, what can you do? I guess. Um, that's, I'm <laughs> that's not much. We won't go too deep in it. I know we, we can't appear. We can't appear and give our opinion. How about the situation? So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. So you know. We'll go into uh, the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival, which was brought up uh, moments ago. We're going to bring into a better light, though. It was it was mentioned during dark times before, but the rain's going away and the thunder's going away and the sun's coming out to shine light on the event. Uh, we, we can start on last year's, which we were lucky enough to attend and play uh, Insomniac at, and you guys had a great event. You know, it was a lot of fun. It was cool, you know, with the community, you know, it's a big community. Everybody knows. It's like everybody knows each other, you know, people, whether that whether people get down and talk, you know what I mean? Everybody knows mm-hmm. kind of everybody, I feel like. Everybody kind of has their, their nose and their ears and eyes to the grindstone to know who else is kind of kicking around in the community and all that so it's good to get out there and kind of see them uh the event was really cool brianna gonzalez uh i think like co-hosted with you co-creator yeah no we it was a it was a creative collaboration with her company bmg events and it came from the 508 um basically what happened was it, it got born out of something that we were talking about earlier where the box being long too long for most festivals yeah. I said well fuck it I'm gonna make my own yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> do it yeah no it, it, it but we had kicked around the idea of 
doing a festival for a while. My problem, not my problem, but my my one concern with like festivals and and cons too. They're 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 both kind of guilty of it. Is accessibility. Yeah. They they set the limits. They charge you a fee, and then they charge the fee for people to get in. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, your film gets seen by some people. But there's no guarantees. Right. So you're throwing a lot of money at people to hopefully somewhere somebody sees your damn movie. Mm -hmm. I was like, how can we, how can we alleviate some of this? I was like, how do we, one, how do we get the separation between a film festival and a con? How do we get rid of that? And also, how do we make it more accessible for the filmmakers to get their product in front of a bunch of people? And basically, what I came down to was, I was like, we need a really big room. <laughs> it all starts with a room, ladies and gentlemen. I, I was like, I was like, a theater ain't gonna ain't gonna work. Not not for the uh, the hybrid vibe we had between convention and film festival. Yeah. I was like, that's not going to work. I was like, let's think of something. Let's think outside the box here. Where would be a cool place to throw something like this? And then Brianna had suggested Platinum City Gaming to me as a possibility, and I went there and I immediately fell in love with the venue. Yeah. And I said, okay, this is it. This is it. This right here. Boom. This is it. We found it. And over the course of the next six months, we slowly but surely worked out the details, made it happen. Um, but that was, that was what it was really born out of, was a desire to make sure that people who make a film that's longer than 15 minutes and are still making high quality stuff. So like it didn't, like when we did submissions, it didn't matter if the film was five minutes or 40, like everything was considered. You know, and I mean, in some cases, things were cut based on runtime. I mean, that, that, that happens. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure we had a mix. Like you got your micro shorts, you've got your compact features, you've got your, your standard, you know, 10 to 15 minute short films. You had it all. And then, you know, we had a bunch of trailer submissions. So we got all that mixed in there. And then you have the arcade games, you have the con vibe. It was just, it was just really cool really cool event. I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out last year. It was, it was really great. It had a great turnout too. It was a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. A lot of good flicks. Met a lot of good people. It was fun. A lot of fan, like, like fan audience people came through, which were cool that were just kind of there to soak up, uh, the situation and see some movies, which is always nice. And like I said, with the nail thing, anytime anybody can get anybody's film in front of anybody, it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, I thank you again for letting us be a part of it and hope I'm looking forward to a future one. Um, I know that this year with the COVID and everything going around, a lot of things are canceled and I'm assuming you guys probably already maybe, oh, maybe can't speculate, but you know, how's this year looking? Um, okay. So the possibility of doing things like we did them last year, yeah. it, it, I mean, it, for the most part, it's all but out the window. Let's yeah. let's be real here. And I don't want to do the show in a half-assed manner. I don't want to do it in any way that I feel is taking away from the spirit of what we were doing. What we do with Dead or Bottom, I should say. Yeah. 
I don't want to do a half measured event. I want to I want to be able to do full bore set of autumn the way we brought it to got, keep everybody last year. Yeah. So if we have to delay it, we have to delay it. That's that's just it is the way it is what it is. If it's looking like it's going to be like such a long time that it may you know it may not even make sense to delay. We'll think of other options. We'll yeah. figure something out beyond you know that event. But if I can, we will deliver that of autumn. It just may not be in November this year. We may we may be dialing it back a couple of months, and it may be like an early twenty twenty one kind of thing. Um, more of a dead of winter yeah. or a dead of spring. Yeah. <laughs> you can have yourself um, a thing, your little uh, franchise of cons going there throughout the year. Well, I mean that that's that's like the that's that's the double edged sword of it, right? Like yeah. we we need something like you guys do a Halloween or like we do a dead of autumn. We need those events now. Yeah, it's not a matter of it's not a matter of. Uh, saying like oh well we do these cool events because they're fun now it's like if we don't do the events ourselves now we don't have a community it's true <laughs> because because everything that we've relied on from outside sources whether it be rock and shock scarecon you know it's all up in the air now because of covid so i mean when it comes back around it may it may be well that we are on our own yeah so it's gonna be up to us to bring these events together and make them happen. So I will never say, like, we're not going to do another Dead of Autumn. We absolutely will do another Dead of Autumn. It just may not be in Autumn. It's <laughs> yeah. a coin of phrase. I hear you. So uh, outside of those things, what's up next uh, for James Lamond in the 508? What you, what you guys got brewing that you can speak on? Uh, well, I mean, there's there's things here and there, you know. Yeah. Um, we are beginning the, the to, to work the gears on the new on a new film. Can't say too much at this moment because a lot of it's you know it's it's in it's in the pre it's in the the, the pupa stage. It, it hasn't even reached its chrysalis yet. But we're we're working on something new there. We're going to be expanding five hundred eight radio. We're going to be bringing on more shows for that. There's more stuff in the works. Um, and hopefully by, you know, fall or so, we will have uh, another new YouTube show coming out um, um, on a monthly, I believe monthly basis. Not like Horror Sphere slash TV. It's something completely out of left field that I don't think anybody's going to see coming, but it, it's it's awesome. Yeah. And it's still very hard. <laughs> Word up. Word up. Do you want to, uh, Mel, you got any final questions for James? Mel, you there? Guess who's not there? Mel's not there. Mel's not there. So, um, well, we're, 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 I wonder how long she's been gone for. Speaking of, be speaking of being gone, we want to say big rest in peace to Danny Hicks passed away today, I believe, or at least news broke out today, uh, from Evil Dead 2, Intruder, Dark Man, mm -hmm. part of, part of the, 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 the Raimi family over there of, uh, 
Detroitians uh, that do, were doing it big, but that was sad. I know a couple weeks ago he, he posted up something about getting a you know a stage four diagnosis of cancer, and he had one to three years. And uh, sad. He was a very friendly guy. You know, I talked to him on Facebook a few times. Nothing too crazy. It would have been cool to get him on the show. Would have been cool to have him around more in life. You know, forget about the show. But uh, rest in peace. You know, and uh, everybody. Put on, put on one of the flicks and check them out. Watch Intruder. I'll say watch Intruder. And uh, Intruder's amazing. It, it's it's one of those like unheard of gems that not a lot of people have seen. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> it was always super expensive on Blu-ray. It never kind of came down. I remember that. Yeah. It was like 35 bucks every time I went to go check it. And I paid that 35 bucks. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, well, with that, James... Fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, man. This has been a good time. Hell yeah. Anytime. We'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back on. We'll have you back on to do like a more fun uh, gamey, I guess. This was fun, but you know what I mean. This was more of an interview. Oh, yeah. This was a get-to-know-your-filmmaker episode, you know? I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it. Anytime. Anytime. Just let me know. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks again. And Thank uh, you. Hey. Anytime, I'll talk to you soon. And everybody out there listening, we'll catch you on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Say bye, Mel. Bye, Mel. Uh Uh-oh.